the biggest thing for me is to make sure that the technology that are rolled out are actually rolled out once and provide long-term future uh, without having to top up and come back and reinvest every single time. And that's the beauty of fiber. You know, the, you, you lay the fiber in the ground, and then by changing the electronics at both ends, you can continue to support that growth in data demand. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Hey folks, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today, very special guest, JB Russolo. How are you? Very good, very good. Kia ora. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to, ha- great to have you on the show. Well, you're the Chief Executive at uh, Chorus New Zealand, uh, responsible really for the largest part of uh, New Zealand's fibre broadband infrastructure, mm-hmm. and you know, I guess there's there's a bit more than that, but that's uh, that's probably what uh, what most people appreciate most yeah. about uh, about Chorus. We've uh, hit, I guess, this milestone coming to the end of of 2022 of the end of the UFB2 rollout or the the second stage of the ultra fast broadband rollout here in New Zealand, mm-hmm. which has culminated in, I think it's uh, 87% yes, of, uh, of the population having, uh, having the option of, of putting uh, fibre broadband into their, uh, into their homes. Uh, so quite an ex- exciting milestone. I thought, you know, good time to, to sit down and uh, uh, hear a little bit more about what's happening in the world of Chorus uh, where where we're at in New Zealand, sort of you know yep. comparatively mm-hmm. on the on the global stage, and maybe a little bit about uh, the future because yeah, I'm always interested yep. in hearing <laughs> about the future. Uh, so thanks for joining us. Yeah. Um, before we kick in, a big thank you to our show partners, uh, to Vodafone, Two Degrees, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal for their support of the New Zealand Tech Podcast and the broader tech and innovation ecosystems within New Zealand. Well, JB, um, yeah, this this big milestone. It's uh, it's been eleven years of work, I think, uh, for for Chorus. Uh, when uh, Crown Crown Infrastructure or uh, Crown Fiber Partners, yep. as they now, as they yep. were mm-hmm. then, and full disclosure, I do do some work with uh, <laughs> with Crown Infrastructure. Um, you know, when when they went out to the market, and this was before you were in New Zealand. Um, Chorus won a won a pretty large uh, you know chunk of that opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, to partner uh, with the government on that um, private public partnership uh, to put out uh, or to yeah to roll out fiber uh, in in New Zealand. What's uh, what's your view on on how that's uh, that's played out and how does it feel to sort of meet reach this uh, this milestone? I think in terms of uh, you know public partnership projects. Uh, th- this would have to be one of the most successful that that I've heard about because it's it's a uh, you know over ten years as you said it's multi billion dollar there's probably about five to six billion dollars that have gone into this about one point six of that came from the government in the form of a of a loan uh, that that will be repaid uh, but you know it's it's a project of that scale that was delivered on time and on budget and you don't have many of those big publicly funded uh, PPP projects that are of that scale that are delivered on time and on and on budget and to, you know to put a couple of numbers in there there's 400 over 400 towns in New Zealand uh, that have now uh, access to fiber going from you know of course the big cities Auckland etc but all the way to places like you know Fox Glacier Hast uh, you know much smaller communities uh, in New Zealand there's been about I think I think it's about 44 million hours of work has been done to actually install that uh, that fiber uh, in the ground and make it available to people and as you said it's now 87 percent of the population that can access um, the, uh, the the fiber network uh, and what's interesting is we now have over 71 percent of them have actually placed an order so, so on the one hand, it's a great number. In fact, it's bigger on the older part of the network. So the UFB1, which was done in the uh, earlier years, that's already at 75% uh, take-up rate. Auckland is at 80%. It continues to grow 1% per quarter. My, my surprise coming from, from Australia is how come there's still 30% that haven't ordered one? So uh, <laughs> you know, if I can put a plug to, uh, to all the listeners today... Uh, if you don't have fiber yet, then uh, place your order. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you'll find uh, that that our uh, listeners for already the there, Tech yeah. podcast are, uh, <laughs> are there and have been for some time, and and long time listeners will uh, may recall that uh, uh, at, at the very beginning of the uh, of the rollout, 
um, I chose to move and rented a, a property that was in one of the that very few the footprint, areas yeah. <laughs> where you could get access to uh, to fibre. Uh, so yeah, you know, certainly quite a big deal for you know for New Zealand as a whole, and you know for for some of us, uh, you know, an, an incredibly exciting uh, thing to to be a part of. Now, before joining uh, Chorus, mm-hmm. uh, you were based in Australia. Tell us uh, tell us a little bit about uh, about that, that role, yeah. mm-hmm. and you know, I guess the the the, the differences in terms of uh, you know what's happened here yep. um, uh, compared to uh, compared to Australia and you had quite a uh, you know pivotal role there mm-hmm. for you know for for a number um, of of years so yeah, yeah I mean, the, share the, a little the, bit about that the, the, the white hair show that I've been in the industry for about now more than 20 years yeah. uh, and then six years before I came here was with NBN which is basically the equivalent of of chorus in Australia and you know for for political, historical uh, reason, it went a a slightly different path. Uh, And if I look at uh, the great success that's been delivered here, um, I put it down to three key things when when I compare it to Australia. Uh, The the first one is that when the structural separation of Spark was done, uh, the assets went into the right place. Uh, So things like the pipes that are in the street, uh, the pits where you can put some equipment, the exchange, all of that went across to Chorus. And so when you're asked to roll out a new fiber network, doing it in your own assets, in your own pits, in your own pipes, in, in your own exchange, is a lot easier. Um, in Australia, the situation is different. NBN was set up separately. Um, the equivalent of Spark Telstra continued to own the pits, the pipes, and the exchange. And so NBN has the task of rolling out that new network in somebody else's uh, assets. And that makes it a lot harder. Uh, you know, it's the equivalent of doing an, a, a reno when you own the house versus when you actually have to negotiate with your landlord about what you can do. So that's that's one big difference. Uh, the second one is that uh, in, in, in New Zealand, uh, it has been uh, a bipartisan uh, project. So it was started by uh, the previous government, but when the new government came in place, they were fully supportive. It continued the same way. Um, in Australia, it became more of a political battlefield, and so there were big changes that were triggered every single time there was a, a change in government, uh, and so that made it a lot harder. Uh, and then the last one, in, interestingly, is that in the early days of, of Chorus, um, there was a decision made uh, for a while on the copper pricing by the Commerce Commission that really put a huge amount of stress on the company because it was a, a, a quite harsh uh, decision that ended up being uh, turned back. And so Chorus has always been super focused on delivering things very cost-effectively. And so you put those three uh, elements together and you get to, you know, a project that's been delivered on time, on budget, and now covers fiber to the home to 87% of the country. You know, Australia will get there. They're starting to now upgrade their network to get to uh, fiber to the home. Um, But that's, for me, the the, the reason why it's, uh, it's been different. Yeah, uh, that's. Mm. I think some yeah some good observations there, and of course, got a different ownership model, right, mm-hmm. with the national broadband network in still, in, Aust- in yeah. Australia. Um, that's state with, owned. That yeah. sits with the state rather than with with private enterprise, and we we do for all sorts of reasons <laughs> often end up with very different results no. from things that are that when a government effectively is trying to run a you know, a business versus those things being, you know, being run, yeah. uh, you know, privately. And as I said, you know, about two-thirds of the funding uh, for the UFB came from private sector. Uh, you know, there's a lot of money that came from the government, but two-thirds came from the private sector, and that's something that could not happen over there. How important do you think that funding was that that came in? Was it just the funding? What were the, what were the you know, the key things uh, from from your knowledge anyway in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, I guess Chorus was kind of forced to move, weren't they? Because otherwise Chorus wouldn't have had yep. uh, mm-hmm. much of a much of a future. But the uh, the approach, we ended up with Chorus, but also, uh, you know, three local yep. fibre mm-hmm. uh, companies. Or was it four? Three a, more. Yeah, three, three, yeah. three plus Chorus. Yeah, yep. mm-hmm. uh, that's right. Uh, so... Um, yeah, that that created sort of you know quite a competitive mm-hmm. um, playing field, didn't it? it? It did, and I think you know when you said what, what was the role of the government? Was it just you know the, the the money? If you think about ten years ago, you know the average data consumption of of somebody on the internet was about 
10 gigabytes per month. Uh, and so the, the idea of building a network of this scale that allows what we consume today, which is now you know, 500 gigabytes per month, is, is kind of the average uh, consumption of customers. The, the question mark back then, I've been told because I wasn't around, but you know, are we building um, a white elephant? Are we over-investing? Um, as it turned out, we, we didn't. Uh, but that was a bold movement from the governor and from Crown Infrastructure Partners to go and say, yeah, we're going to back this program. You know, originally, the business case said that by 2020, 2022, the take-up would be around 21%. And as I said, we're now 75, 80% for Auckland. So that was the, the bold move that the government made. And you needed that type of, of commitment from the government to actually kick in uh, the private funding that, that came along and, and did that. Mm. Yeah, to me, I mean, I guess it's what I put in the category of futurist thinking. Yep. Uh, you know, the government end within, you know, the approach sort of across the board from, you know, from all the key, uh, the key players and, uh, you know, those, those who were involved, I mean, got it incredibly right, particularly when, when, when we look at some of the other challenges that have, that have maybe happened in Australia or other, other parts of the world without, without denigrating uh, your work <laughs> and the work of uh, uh, those working for uh, uh, NBN because the, the political pieces yeah, uh, Makes it a lot you know, harder. we're probably yeah. the the biggest pieces, and I'm sure other people will have some other uh, thoughts and uh, and opinions. <laughs> I've I've probably mostly watched that from uh, <laughs> from a distance, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. So, looking at chorus today, what are the things you would say that a lot of people probably don't know about chorus and and what you actually get up to because. Yeah, fibre. Yep, yeah, that's yeah, that's, that's exciting, mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's meant through uh, through the pandemic that we've had uh, a you know very strong ability for you know, most uh, m- most you know organisations that have uh, you know got work that fits for working from home to be able to you know do so with with a relative ease, and when we compare that to some of the experiences and whether it's Australia or you know varying other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, th- I think we'd say New Zealand, you know, <laughs> a lot, a lot better off. But uh, what, what are the other uh, so you know, c- things yeah, you get up to? A c- couple of, of little interesting tidbit from uh, from a course perspective. So, you know, f- first of all, the network, because that's the the core asset that we've got. You know, I've mentioned already that you know there's been a lot of mahi that's gone into it, 44 million hours to build that network. But uh, you know, some of it is in interactive places. We, we've got an undersea cable, for example, that goes from here to Waiheke because there was demand there that justify having uh, that being in place. When we roll out the network in uh, a geographically challenging environment that New Zealand can be, you know, there is time where we had to have a helicopter uh, draw a fiber network across a big gully. Uh, I recently visited uh, the project that we have in Milford Sound, because fiber will get to Milford Sound as part of the UFB2 program. And that's a challenging road to go up to, go through a tunnel, go back down. So our fiber goes through some pretty uh, I- interesting areas. And it's also quite resilient. Uh, recently, there were some big uh, weather events in the South Island that washed off um, you know, bridges, roads, uh, roads, et cetera. And I've got a couple of interesting pictures where the, the bridge is gone, but the blue cable is still there. <laughs> uh, and it's still working. Um, you know, there, there are cases where sometimes, unfortunately, it gets broken. But in that case, it's still working. And there's another picture of it, of it actually holding a huge boulder, but that that fiber is still working oh, again. Okay. So it yeah. is a quite resilient uh, network, and and it is quite big. Um, the other thing is um, that that people may not know uh, is the fact that we're a wholesale only. Uh, so you know you see advertising in TV that says you know chorus fiber fiber is the way that people should do internet today, uh, but at the end of the day we don't sell uh, our product to end users. Uh, we've got a hundred retail service providers that basically access our network on a totally equal basis. So if you're a small startup RSP retail service provider, or if you're uh, some of the biggest established one, we make that network available to everybody on the exactly the same term. And that, that's probably another good thing of the model that was adopted here uh, is that open wholesale access uh, to, to that network. So sometimes people are a bit confused. They go, no, no, I'm, I'm buying. I, I want to buy my service from Chorus. Uh, you know, you, you buy it, but indirectly. Uh, and what you see us uh, in uh, in advertising uh, on TV, on media, et cetera, is to explain to people, hey, fiber is here, you should take it. So it's to get those last 30% that, that haven't yet placed the uh, the order. Um, 
Another one probably is, you know, the fact that we do have a lot of visibility of what's happening on the network. And, you know, data consumption keeps growing. It grows by about 20 to 23% um, every year. Uh, but we track it, you know, minute by minute. And so we know exactly when the peak is. The peak is at uh, in the evening at about 8 p.m. when people are back home. They're streaming video and, and things like this. Or they're, they're playing uh, games online so, or doing streaming with their uh, Zooming with their families. Uh, so we tracked that. We were able to track that during uh, the pandemic and the uh, lockdown periods. And we had a lot of conversations with the entire industry, with uh, uh, MB, with the Ministry uh, of Telecommunication to make sure that the network would cope with this. And so the first few days, you know, people were wondering, is it going to work? And, and, and it did. Uh, and so being able to track this uh, is also a really interesting thing. What we saw with, with the pandemic is... Uh, the amount of download you know, went up because people couldn't go out. Uh, but what really went up was the uh, amount of upload. So you know, the connection in your home uh, can go both ways. You can be streaming videos, et cetera, or you can actually be sending some content. And that's the thing that went uh, really dramatically up during the uh, lockdown and interestingly has stayed up. Uh, right, because, because there's a lot of video calls, right? Yeah, Which exactly. Means that you're you're streaming video in reverse. Yeah. Uh, so people now use people yeah. now use those video streaming to to connect with family. And then what we're seeing now is, you know, the m most workplaces have gone back to a hybrid type of working, where some people will do one or two or three days a week working from home. When they're working from home, they're on a Zoom call, they're on a Teams call, uh, and so a lot of our traffic is now going that way rather than coming into your home. So that, that, that's another interesting one. Um, if I can pick two more. Uh, one is uh, in terms of the environmental footprint. The great thing we've got is this fiber technology is one that uses a lot less power uh, than, than other technologies to provide broadband. So the more people are on fiber, the less emissions we've got uh, in our network because that you know, the last bits of power consumed is in the exchange or in your home. In between, there is absolutely no power, which is not the case for, for other technologies. So, Not that the other technologies use huge amounts of power, though, to uh, be fair. It, it, well, uh, it's interesting because as speed goes up, then you see that really going up. Because okay. you know, as speed goes up, some of the other technology needs to put more technology, uh, more capacity in the, in the ground. That part of the network for us remains the same. And so we've done some, some research recently that really showed one of the benefits of a, of a fiber connection is that as you go up in speed, one gig, potentially two, three, or four, that consumption remains relatively flat, which is not the case with some of the other technology. Uh, and then the last thing I think that people may not know is the fact that uh, you know, we, have, we operate under a regulated model. So we have a relationship with the Commerce Commission, uh, and they are the one who decide you know, how much money we can make on that network that's been built. So there are, there's a lot of control that's in place. Uh, we have um, a rich relationship with the Commerce Commission, and, uh, and sometimes we, uh, we see things slightly differently. But overall, it's a model that really is delivering uh, for New Zealanders and for New Zealanders' homes and businesses. Mm. Oh, thanks for that. Uh, mm. Now, the resiliency of the network, you, mm -hmm. you, know, you, you mentioned that um, you know, always in order to to deliver the most resiliency, you know, you want sort of multiple paths yep, to yep. to get to different locations, uh, so that if a bit of you know fiber gets damaged, it still cut, works, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. and so on. Um, how much work is is really still going on on that basis? Mm -hmm. uh, because the more we start relying on on fiber. Uh, you know, the more that we need, we kind of need to know that we've got that increased resilience, and we've seen it into New Zealand. And uh, you know, in the earlier years of, of New Zealand Tech Podcast, we would we would get excited about discussions that maybe there's going to be somebody else providing a you know, fibre connection yeah. to New Zealand rather than uh, just the, the you know Southern Southern Cross uh, cables. And of course, in in recent years, we've ended up with a really uh, increased resiliency yeah. from that mm -hmm. international uh, perspective. But yeah, no, can, no, you, can you fill us in on what's what's happening sort of network-wise there? Yeah, no, Crown Investment Partner, you know, set the standard uh, and actually did say, you know, that for, for above a certain size, we absolutely needed to provide that dual uh, pass. So if one cable gets cut, the network still works. So we have that dual pass on the vast majority of our customers. So the vast majority of our customers are on it. Uh, and then there was a, an allowance to go and say, well, it might be hard to do on, on smaller communities. 
we do have a budget every year that we actually continue to build to make sure that we create these double paths. So we are above the standard that was uh, created by Crown Investment Partner. And every year we continue to invest uh, in that. And, uh, you know, the, a good recent example is the, the loop that we're building on the west coast of the South Island. So going down the south coast, going up Hast Pass, down to Wanaka, and, and, um, and that has created a completely different path to the other one that was on the east coast of the, of the South Island. So there's ongoing investment to make sure that more and more of our network has that dual path. Because as you say, people are now totally reliant on it. And if I'm working from home and, and the internet stops working, then uh, it, it's not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that in area that you, that you, that you mentioned, um, you know, pass, pass and, and, and so on. Um, yeah, I know, uh, you know, Crown Infrastructure have been involved there, also yep. the mobile black spots and, uh, and, and so on. And yeah, I think as more time goes on, the actual importance of having, you know, very resilient networks, uh, you know, just, just increases, right? Because yep. I think uh, there, there's, it's, we sort of get to a point where there's not, uh, there's not too much infrastructure that doesn't rely on some sort of, you know, connectivity. And if you're, if you, you know, whether it's that you, you have a, an accident on the road out there, or you know, you've got a business, or you know, you're trying to work from home, then uh, yeah, we don't, we don't want to see no. uh, that that connectivity, um, you know, absolutely, broken. you know that. That that South uh, South Island West Coast connection is a perfect example on that. You know, as as we build that fiber down, it lit up a number of communities uh, with fiber, so we were able to roll out fiber. But it also lit up a number of mobile towers uh, to reduce the black spot. And when I visited the um, the site that goes to Milford Sound, uh, the biggest you know positive feedback I got was a bus driver who does you know tourist ferrying back and forth between Queenstown and um, and, and Milford Sound. And he was saying the number of accidents that I saw that I had to then drive another 20 minutes before I could report. And he goes, you know, the, 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 I think there are four or five towers that are going to be let up down that road because fiber has been rolled out. So it's, it's a very symbiotic relationship. You know, you put fiber down, you can lit up towns, you can lit up uh, areas that were in black spot and, and contribute to a great outcome. Great. Now, looking at the other side, so looking looking uh, to the infrastructure that uh, you know that Chorus now owns, that is, um, you know, over probably over a hundred, well, well over a hundred years since uh, since the, the the earliest stages of it, I suppose, uh, in terms of the copper network, mm-hmm. um, what does that look like to? Yeah. To main, maintain it. Do you remember when that started in New Zealand? I've uh, it's not a not a number that's sticking I, in my mind. Yeah, I don't know where was the first. I don't know where was the first copper line uh, laid. But yeah, it's listen. It's a technology that has served us uh, really well. Uh, you know, I'm old enough to remember the uh, the days of dial-up uh, internet, where you had to uh, to actually make sure you were the only person on the line uh, to be able to be on the on the internet. So the the future of copper on on the areas where we have fiber. Uh, clearly, you know, we, we've got a better network now. And so the story is to actually make sure that we migrate everybody uh, to that newer uh, technology so that we can ultimately turn off uh, the copper network. And we've started doing that. Uh, there is now a code that we've agreed uh, with the Commerce Commission, also with the retail service providers that allows us in areas where you have fiber to go and say, hey, uh, the last few customers, you need to migrate because we're going to turn off uh, the copper network. So we've already turned off, I think, over 200 uh, cabinets, uh, and there is in excess of 17,000 people that have been said, hey, you need to move uh, to the new technology because we're, we're going to turn off this network. And we'll also, uh, as of the beginning of next week, we'll, we'll stop selling a new copper line in those areas where fiber is already there. Okay. Because we're saying, yeah. hey, you, there is a better technology. Uh, why, why don't you use it? So that's the... Where, where, that, where that fiber is coarse uh, fiber, presumably. Uh, yes, uh, but probably also... Uh, in the other areas, because there isn't really, you know, if, if it's the local fiber companies, um, the technology is there. Uh, you, you might as well get people on, on the right technology. Um, so, right. so it's, it's not really cost effective for you to be continue, you know, maintaining that we, in those locations. We, too? We, st- we still make money on the copper lines that we have yeah. in, in, uh, in the uh, other fiber companies. But, you know, do we really want to go and install a new line? Uh, in an area where, you know, ultimately there is a better technology. I, I don't know. 
we'll, we'll have to see. Okay, interesting. <laughs> but then for me, the, the conversation is around, um, you know, the, the, the 13% that do not have access to fiber uh, because there the technologies are, you know, copper uh, or then you go fixed wireless, uh, wireless uh, internet service providers or now the, the next generation of, of satellite provision. And so I think it's really important that this country starts that conversation. I, I was in Europe... Uh, recently, people look at the New Zealand model and they are uh, very impressed by how it's been played so far. Uh, they are really impressed, in particular, by the take-up rates uh, that we achieve on the on the network. Um, but while they were really impressed by the 87% coverage a couple of years ago, now you hear other countries are now targeting well into the 90s. Some of them 95. Uh, Ireland and Spain are going 98, 99% of the country will have access to fiber. And it's because they recognize that, you know, at the end of the day, if you live in, in rural and regional New Zealand, uh, you need access to great broadband just as much as you do uh, in the city. In some cases, you need it better mm-hmm. uh, or even more because, you know, you, you probably need to do telehealth more than somebody who lives in the city. Uh, and so that conversation, I think, needs to take place now in, in New Zealand. What do we do with the 13%? Uh, can we push uh, fiber coverage more out? Um, can satellite play a role for the most uh, rural, extreme, uh, remote areas? And then how do we do uh, the in-between? Uh, because fiber won't go uh, to 99%. It, it's not cost efficient. Uh, but having this uh, look at how do you progressively make reliable, long-term, future-proof broadband accessible to uh, that fringe of, of New Zealand that is not yet on fiber, I think, is is an important conversation to be had. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I think uh, there's there's definitely going to be interest in that, and I you know, often have conversations with people that are on those fringes. They might yeah. be a hundred meters from fiber access, and uh, yeah, there, there's definitely that frustration. Um, just going back to when the when the copper line started in New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, Google tells me Alexander Graham Bell first demonstrated the telephone to Queen Victoria uh, in eighteen seventy eight, okay. uh, and uh, the they uh, they formed the telephone company uh, limited uh, in the UK to market uh, Bell's phones in Britain at that time. Uh, it looks like New Zealand. Uh, was a was a very very close uh, follower. They had electrical transmission of sound in that same year, okay. eighteen seventy eight, and then wow. eighteen eighty one, uh, New Zealand had its first telephone exchange in uh, in Christchurch. Oh, so, that's really uh, impressive. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, there's 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 uh, there's there's quite a uh, uh, quite a, it, quite a history there. But but yeah, and and what's interesting for me is that you know if you think about it, at some point, governments around the world and and in New Zealand too kind of went every home should have a phone line. Uh, and there was an, you know, by then it was typically state-owned telecommunications businesses that were there, but they were given the mandate are actually rolling out uh, that network everywhere. And, you know, it is really much everywhere in New Zealand. Uh, and so that same conversation now needs to take place with, with, with the next generation of technology. Yeah, <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because I had somebody give me that exact argument when I, you know, I was talking to them and, and saying, look, it's... Yeah, it must be very, very expensive to get fiber to to that remaining sure. that mm-hmm. remaining thirteen percent. Yeah, that surely doesn't make any sense. And the comment that came back was, "Well, New Zealand did it with with, with, with copper, copper, absolutely uh, back mm-hmm. in the back in the day. Um, you know, why 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 should uh, you know the, those of us who." Uh, you know, are in that remaining thirteen percent sort of be uh, you know be treated any differently? Yeah, than, no, no, than, than I think, yeah. else. So <laughs> I guess that's probably lines up with with your thinking. And we're ready for that conversation. We really want because I think it takes another uh, round of government, industry, uh, investors uh, conversation to go and find a way that that find that Goldilocks of how do you continue to grow. Uh, the coverage. And as you say, some of it is 100 meters away from our network. So those are relatively reasonable costs to expand. But then the further out you go, of course, the cost per premises uh, goes up. But, you know, if you're in rural and remote New Zealand, you you do have the same needs. And in some cases, I said, you have bigger needs for a a fast, reliable broadband uh, than people in the cities. 
Mm. We've certainly got the best connectivity we've you know ever had as a, as a country, but mm. I can imagine that will be it, it will be an ongoing topic. And um, I guess there's a there's a, there's an election uh, not too that not <laughs> not too far out, so maybe that ends up being one of you know one one of those things that. Uh, uh, as a as a topic for uh, for some amongst mm-hmm. all all sorts of other <laughs> uh, um, demands that we have as a country, can you give us any indication? Um, I'm I'm sure this is something that you probably got more insight on than anyone else. Mm-hmm. To reach that remaining thirteen percent, if we were to go to you know I don't know ninety nine percent say or a hundred percent. How much more does that last bit cost, you know, comparatively um, than the work that's been done to date, right? Because there must be a a pretty interesting curve there in terms of the cost differences. It's very much a hockey stick or or exponential curve. Um, What we've said, and and we've uh, we've actually uh, said it publicly, is that we're keen to actually go from 87 to 90% and that we would be able to fund it if we've got the right regulatory and the right policy settings. So we're happy to contribute some of our funding to actually get to that 90%. Um, 90 to 95 is probably feasible, but we'll need significant amount of government funding because commercially you get to the bit that gets uh, hard to make sense commercially. Uh, and you're probably talking you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars, to get to that 95 95 to 99, you're really getting to the very, very expensive. That's where the hockey, uh, the hockey exactly. Stick so, is. <laughs> so you know, if you, if you ask me my, my gut feel, and it's not a, a, a fully uh, backed up data uh, gut feel, but I think you know, 95 is a realistic target. Beyond that, you you have to really start asking yourself the questions about are there better alternatives uh, to provide long term connectivity. The the biggest thing for me is to make sure that the technology that are rolled out are actually rolled out once and provide long-term future uh, without having to top up and come back and reinvest every single time. And that's the beauty of fiber. You know, the, you, you lay the fiber in the ground and then by changing the electronics at both ends, you can continue to support that growth in data demand. So talking about that aspect of fiber, because I think that is one of the most exciting things is you, you put fiber in there and then the technology that gets you know attached at, at, at each end, as it were, uh, can you know, change and improve over time. And, you know, we've seen that with the um, ultra-fast broadband mm-hmm. uh, rollout. You know, when we started, I think the, um, you know, the base uh, offering was a 30, 30 megabits down, 10, yeah. 10 megabits up. Uh, and and at the time, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a step up for the very large majority yeah. mm-hmm. of New Zealand. And, you know, even, you know, compared to... Uh, Compared to Australia, where I think they were probably DSL one or probably DSL two at that <laughs> stage, but uh, you know, New Zealand had had a, a fair chunk of, of VDSL yeah, sort of coming yep. in at that time, so there was a bit of you know compete there. But what was the top end? Maybe two hundred you know megabits at the, at the time. Now gigabit has what sort of a, a percentage yep. of uh, the connections? Yeah, uh, so uh, the, the gigabit service about four or five years ago, we would have had a thousand customers. Now it's almost 25% of our customers and we're getting close to a million. So we've got in excess of 200,000 customers that are on the one gigabit service. Uh, and then the big thing that we did uh, in December last year, uh, pr- pretty much a year ago exactly uh, to the date is we took all the customers that were on the 120 plan and upgraded them to 300, 100. And that 100 was recognizing the fact that there is a lot more uh, upload uh, that takes place on the network. And that's something that we did uh, together with all of the other uh, local fiber companies. Uh, so basically all of the wholesale offering in New Zealand went, hey, let's take everybody that's on 100 and put them on 300. And that was supported by all of the retail service provider who passed on that additional speed at no extra cost to, to the customer. So, you know, when you talk about the, the beauty of fiber, that was something that required nothing. Uh, the network could do it. There was a bit of adjustment that needed to be made at the interconnect, so where the points of our, connect, our network connect with other people's network. Uh, so that had to be resized. Uh, but otherwise, that was something that was able to be implemented at no extra cost. Um, when you get to the hyperfiber services, the, the 2 gig, 4 gig, 8 gig, it's a different technology. Uh, so then you need... But the a, same fiber. 
But exactly the mm. same fiber. So you need a, a, a different box in the home. You need a different card in the exchange. But it's down the exact same fiber. And so the the investment is limited to those two pieces of, of electronics. Uh, and you just push different lights, different signals through it. And then recently in our lab, we did a test where we did 25 gig. And you know the, the way we were displaying it is you, you saw the coil of, of fiber that was there. And it was about, I, I can remember, four or five kilometers of fiber. Uh, we had the normal... 100 meg or 1 gig service going through. We had uh, a uh, 4 gigabit hyperfiber service going through. And then on top of it, we, we lit up that 25 gig service. So that's the beauty of that uh, of that asset. And, you know, you were mentioning Southern Cross, the, the, the cable network that goes under uh, the Pacific Ocean to uh, to link New Zealand to, uh, to the U.S. They've been able to do the same thing. Uh, you know, over the year, they've been able to just shove a lot more data in that same pipe. And then you said other pipes were, were built, and, and, and that's how you get a lot of more capacity. Uh, but that's the beauty of that technology. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really exciting. So, um, and there are more, you know, there's more of a future even than that, that, you know, what's referred to as 25 GPON delivering the, you know, 25 gigabits. There's, there's 50 sort of. Oh, yeah. Next, and and that will keep coming, won't it? Because we, I mean, we we see with the undersea cables, uh, you know, those those are running at uh, uh, you know blinding speeds because y- you've only got you know you don't have that many um, fibre strands that actually connect New Zealand to the to the rest of the world. So there's there really is a um, yeah. you know a, a near unlimited sort of uh, capacity in, in terms of the fibre that uh, that runs you know from one premise to to another right and, and as you say you know what, what fuels this is is the demand mm-hmm. uh, and, and what's important to understand with, with the internet is it it's not a, a flat demand it basically goes into into peaks and troughs um, you know our, our our biggest peak of data consumption I think was four point three terabytes um, because that was our peak hour time, and on top of that, one of the big uh, game platform released their new uh, update, and they do that at the peak hour time for us in New Zealand because they do it at the same time globally. Um, and so, when you look at you know what do you need in your home, you know on a stable basis, you probably don't need uh, a hyperfiber product. Uh, but the moment that game gets released and your teenage kids wants to download it because they're desperate to load it, and at the same time you're on a video conference because you're working from you know. That's the time where you go, oh, suddenly the peak is there, uh, and therefore you do need that burst uh, capacity, and, and that's what uh, drives people going from 100 to 300, then to 1 gig, then to hyperfiber, and, and that will continue because more and more uh, of, the, uh, of the things we do is going online. Uh, we are going to store more, people, more, more things online. My, my son is traveling right now. I think he's taken 37,000 pictures uh, they're going to have to be somewhere in the cloud, and at yeah, some point he's yeah. going to press a button to upload them. Uh, so, you know, it's that type of burst uh, that, that requires it. And then if you're a business, then it's a completely different story. You know, if you're a business, uh, all of your communications are online. Your ordering is online. Uh, your customer support is online. Um, when you place a call on a call center, it is now going through an online platform. So, you know, businesses will also have increasing needs in terms of speeds, and that's why we think that that demand will continue to grow. Today, we already have, I think it's 17% of our customers consume uh, one terabyte of data per month. Uh, We think that will be the average in 2025. And the more data you consume, the more speed you need to actually get that data to come through. Yeah, look, and I'm I'm a big proponent of, uh, you know, Getting a getting a higher speed when it you know comes to your connectivity and you know that what you talked about in terms of yeah you've got those peaks and troughs but nobody wants to be in that situation uh, where you know, your business productivity is is, is impacted yeah. or you're wasting a, a you know a lot of time at at home because you don't have the you know the right sort of connectivity and I, I guess I think of it a little bit like uh, power right you know we we most of us in New Zealand. Would have uh, more power running to our home than we than we need, you know, um, yeah. all all at once. But you know, we would get pretty frustrated if you couldn't, uh, you know, I don't know, do a, a a washing load and turn your oven on yeah. at the uh, same run time, the dryer at the, at, yeah. at the same mm-hmm. time, and, and and so on, right? Um, you know, or for those things to take. Uh, two, two times as long or three times as long it's a because great there's, analogy. there's not enough power <laughs> running into the home. And I think you know we've been very fortunate in most most cases for 
you know, those of us that have said moving to electric vehicles, uh, you know, that yeah. we've got a sufficient capacity to be able to charge vehicles overnight and not, you know, have a have a brownout <laughs> or a blackout in our homes because we've chosen because to you're charging you know, the car. No, char- charge a vehicle. Although there probably are some some other discussions and that's down the power track. So prob- <laughs> you know, probably not an area that uh, uh, that you need to lose lose sleep <laughs> over. But uh, you know, there's some other discussions there around what you know what we do from from a power perspective. But you know, I see that this the impact that it can have on you know on productivity or even if you know you've got you whether it's your GoPro or you know whatever you you gadget is and you want to upload those things to the cloud. Um, you know, being on a connection that say your you know base speed versus um, you know, even a your gigabit, yeah, yeah, right? It might be yeah, the yeah. difference between your upload taking one hour and taking three hours, and actually you want to upload everything off your you know off your mm-hmm. device and then you know skedaddle off and 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 do something else. But uh, you're stuck there uploading. That's uh, that's not helpful. And you know, I think more and more. We rely on moving things to the cloud, not just to you know a local device, a local yeah. device and so on. What, what's interesting is is um, what, what's now becoming increasingly more apparent, and especially when we did the upgrade from 100 to 300, uh, is that people also need to think about the in-home experience. So it's great to have a super fast pipe arriving into your home, and we deliver this, and our network is never congested. So you know you, you reliably are going to get that speed coming into your home. Uh, but if that device is connected to a modem or a Wi-Fi modem that is not of the latest technology, then suddenly the bottleneck becomes how you consume that data in your home. Uh, and you know, we often say to people, if you want to connect a TV, it's better if you connect it with a wire. Um, but so many of our devices are connected through Wi-Fi, uh, and I think you know we're starting to have a good conversation with uh, with the industry because the retail service providers need to need to play a role there on how do we make sure that that in-home experience is not the, the bottleneck that defines the experience that you're going to have in your home. Uh, and I think you're going to see a lot more happening. You know, Wi-Fi 6 as a new technology is definitely improving. I, I upgraded recently from a, a Wi-Fi 5 mesh network to Wi-Fi 6 in my home, and it was, it was just uh, really impressive to see the, uh, the difference. And it was, it was visible. You, you actually measure it in... Uh, the speed it takes to download uh, an episode to your tablet as you're about to go and take a plane. Uh, it's measurable about how quickly a stream of video will start. So you actually physically see it. Uh, so I think a lot of people need to pay attention about their home uh, environment and how that part of the uh, network that gets to your device uh, works. I would love to see uh, yeah more av- yeah more media coverage on on that, whether it's through, you know, uh, you know, I don't know who who picks that up exactly, but it is a common thing that 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 I you know I get. I'll hear from people all over the country who say, "Oh, Paul, I've got a you know terrible internet connection. I need to go with satellite, or I need to do this or that." And often there's there's you know there's quite some confusion around where those issues yeah. are. Or they'll tell me, "Look, I'm on fibre, but it's really slow." Right and and of course <laughs> fiber is not uh, not uh, not the, not the issue. So there there yep. is definitely some work to do on that front. Uh, better Wi-Fi certainly helps, but as you say, if you want the fastest, most robust uh, connection, then uh, you know having actually having a cable back to <laughs> uh, back to the router uh, is you know I guess the the gold standard in this in the same way that that fiber versus you know any other option it's it's the gold standard. Now, it, on, so, so, j- yep. just on this one, if I can, uh, it was interesting in Europe. Uh, people were some of the vendors there and vendors always kind of want to take you five to ten years out because they're trying yeah. to sell you some equipment but they some of them were starting to talk about fiber to the room so they were going it's, it's, it's good enough to have fiber to your home but actually maybe you should have the fiber go all the way to specific rooms in your home so I, I don't think we're there tomorrow <laughs> but you know eventually we might get to that so the the cable may not be a, a cat five cat six cable it might actually become <laughs> a, a real fiber that will go all the way to your TV yeah. <laughs> Now um, we do ha- we do obviously have other connectivity options in New Zealand other than yep. other than just fiber uh, and and other than just chorus. Um, how how do you expect that sort of you know compete to look like over the over the years ahead? Because there there are you know a lot of people mm-hmm. that are on um, you know a rural broadband connection that might be over four G five you know five G and and in the cities too. Uh, there's you know a lot of that we've got uh, we've got Starlink we, we, we're yep. seeing more competition mm-hmm. and um, you know I, I haven't seen any direct uh, stats on it but it, certainly the feedback I get as a lot of people are very very happy 
with that type of, of connectivity. And sure, mm-hmm. they might have to work around how they deal with some of those, you know, some of those peaks. Um, but you know, sometimes yep. it's just a single person in a in a in a dwelling. And you know they're very happy with those options and uh, the offer offerings from you know from our telcos uh, you know can be can be very competitive. So yeah, no, you've no. you've got that pressure, I suppose, <laughs> of wanting to return you know re- return you know as much as possible back to you know back to shareholders and to be able to invest back into the network. Uh, but you've got some you know some competition that yeah. sort of keeps you honest there, right? And, and listen, let's start with uh, you know the the latest. Uh, satellite offerings, the the lower bit uh, satellite proposal, and you know the way we look at them is in fact uh, th- this is part of delivering the right service to uh, rural and, and and very remote areas in in New Zealand. Uh, we're never going to be able to uh, justify a fiber connection to some uh, very remote areas in New Zealand. Uh, right now, we probably have a couple line, and on a good day, they will be getting you know six megabits per second because it's a very long couple line, and therefore the speed degrades. Of course, they or should less move. In some cases, yeah. right? Absolutely, and and they should move to that technology. You know, that, that we're never going to compete to with, with them. Absolutely, customers should should, should move to that technology. Fixed wireless uh, is a different story because it covers some of those areas where we don't we don't reach uh, with, with fiber, uh, but it also covers area where where fiber is here. We we back our product. We back the cali- the quality <laughs> of fiber. Uh, we think fiber, you know, gives you that reliable. Um, uh, speed, uh, reliable uh, latency, which are important for, for end users. Uh, there will be a room, as you say, some customers will be satisfied with, with a fixed wireless product. Um, and as long as they, they are a reasonable usage customer, uh, then it, it might work for them. They, they might have to be a bit more patient on some of the burst uh, uh, stories. And if they have a big household with multiple users and want to be able to work from home, then, you know, they they, they can give it a go. They can have a look, and and uh, hopefully they'll realize that 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 fiber is better for them. We're still seeing you know growth in that fiber uptake. So as people exit copper technology, they've got choices of technology, as you say. Uh, we still see the majority of them pick fiber. Uh, we still see the uptake of fiber grow at about a percent per quarter. So I was mentioning uh, Auckland was already at eighty percent, and it's been growing pretty reliably one percent per quarter uh, in in that uptake. Fixed wireless uptake is is growing too, but those two technologies can cohabitate. Some customers will be happy with with a fixed wireless uh, connection, uh, others won't. Uh, our, our case uh, is, you know, if, if you look at the, the speed performance and the Commerce Commission has done a very good job in kind of now providing transparency so that customers know what they what they're getting. Uh, the the bulk of the fixed wireless offering today is still a 4G uh, offering, and if you look at the Comcom report. Um, you know, the average speed is about 26 megabits per second. So if you're on fiber, you, you, you're getting a better uh, a better speed outcome. Um, they're going to start to monitor the 5G uh, performance. Uh, right now, there is a lot of spare capacity on that 5G network. So I expect that the, the, the numbers will look good. Uh, but as, people, as more and more people potentially uh, opt for that, but at the same time, as more and more people use mobile phones that are going to use that capacity, at some point, uh, the mobile operators will have to go and say, well, you know, where, where is my best return? Is it on selecting, uh, allocating that, cap- that capacity to fixed wireless uh, application, or is it to, uh, to, ap- to allocate it to mobile applications? And my, my expectation is increasingly we build mobile application. And so what we're likely to see is uh, a, a really attractive potential performance on, on 5G, it would still be, I think, comparative to what we offer with our 300 megabits per second product. But then as that capacity get used primarily by mobility application, because that's what it should be, it's a mobile network, uh, then I think people will realize that you know it's, it's a better thing to come back to fiber. And it's hard to do the type of uh, data increase that we're seeing, 25% per annum, uh, to kick up with it uh, at scale uh, so I think it will remain a reasonable part of the market, but not something that will uh, ultimately put a, a massive uh, threat to our business. 
yeah, I can't see uh, fibre going 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 away at all. <laughs> so I think you're you're in a in a good place there. But uh, yeah, there's some, I guess there's some interesting dynamics in terms yeah. of you know pricing and, and and you know what the lower speed offerings are and and so on. That uh, yeah, and this is you know, this is why we we introduced uh, the fibre starter product, mm. uh, which is one where we we've reduced significantly the cost that we charge the retail service providers. Uh, but we've said you know we'll make that available to you if you retail it for less than sixty dollars per month. Uh, so we do want to be we don't we do want fiber to also be in that space of people that are either cost conscious or are low low end users because it's a 50 megabits per se, uh, per second service you know we do want fiber to also be a possibility for that segment of the market and we're seeing that product starting to uh, to take up some uh, some pretty good momentum right which sort of brings me to my next question which is how do you think, as a country, we we address what gets referred to as the digital divide, mm-hmm. and and though you know those homes that maybe are going to you know are going to struggle, uh, you know, to pay commercial rates for for broadband, uh, you know, we we have these discussions around well, you know, broadband now should be a human right yep. or mm-hmm. is considered a human right by by many. So what do you think are the appropriate ways yep. to, uh, you know, to, to address these sorts of challenges? So I'd say, you know, the, f- the first thing is for the industry to actually create a commercially viable product uh, that will be able to attract some of those, uh, so, some, some, of, uh, some of that market. Uh, and, you know, we've done that with, with the fiber starter uh, and you'll have other offerings that are in place for, for on, on other technology. So that's the thing that the industry can do by itself. Um, then, Typically, we all have uh, a, a program to help with the digital divide. So we, we might be uh, actually supporting charities or associations that are trying to bridge some of that gap. Uh, but then ultimately, there's also a role for government to, to play. Um, and, you know, this happened during COVID with uh, the Department of Education uh, that created a program so that we all made uh, access to high-speed broadband to uh, people that could not afford it. Uh, so that their kids can continue to study during during the lockdown periods, and the industry got behind it and and really supported it. So, there, there is an element that needs to take place there, and it's important not just because of the funding, but also because of the channel uh, to those communities. Uh, you know, when you think about a school, if you're not working with the school, saying yeah, you can get it for free does not uh, deliver the right result. You need to make sure that the device is also in the home, uh, that they know how to use it, etc. And so, there is a need for uh, the industry to provide a good entry-level price. That's the first step. And then there is a need to work uh, across the industry and with the associations that are looking after uh, the most uh, unfavored parts of, of our communities so that they can, as you say, ultimately have access to decent connectivity. Mm. Now, just uh, jumping back to uh, the copper, just so I make sure we're... Um you know, we're clear there. You are not taking um, copper out except where there is fibre to to a home is, or to, yeah, a, to a premise. So, so yeah, to, to, to be very clear, uh, the only places where we're removing copper uh, are places where we have fibre. And when we did the trials that we did last year, we actually started with the ones that had a really high take-up rate already. So, you know, just a few customers left on on the, on the copper network. We're ramping up uh, this, this program. And in fact... Some of the retail service providers are very supportive of it. They also have their own program of trying to exit uh, that product in in fiber area. So, you know, there's a better, there's a better technology that's there. Clearly, we need to move to it, uh, and I think the industry is now uh, quite supportive of, of that move. But let's be very clear: it's only happening where fiber is already installed. <laughs> right, and then um, you've also got aspects where those that have got a copper phone line, um, the those are getting turned off mm-hmm. the the old um, you know PSTN uh, uh, public switch telephone network. Yeah, I can't yeah, remember yeah. Well these done, old, well these old yeah. terms. But, <laughs> or, pl- or plain uh, old telephone, pl- yeah. plain old telephone <laughs> system. Yeah, but, uh, uh, so that's that stuff's getting turned off. So there's there's probably sort of two directions where consumers might get uh, communications. Yes. Um, how far in advance should they be getting getting warnings? And yeah. Um, because I, I just sometimes, you know, get past communications no, no. that uh, I, I can see there are consumers maybe getting confused, uh, confused yep. with, mm-hmm. with the messaging that comes to them. And I'm picking that 
as chorus, you're not directly um, doing a lot of communications to end end customers. It's, it's often their retail service provider, their internet provider that's um, providing those communications. So th- you're right that there are two things happening in parallel. One is uh, chorus progressively turning off uh, the, the copper network, and that is regulated by a code uh, that the Commerce Commission ha- has put in place. So to answer your question, it says you need to provide at least six months notice to customers. Um, and so we work very closely with the retail service providers because, as you said, they are the one that have the relationship with the customer. But because it's something that we trigger, we also, in that uh, scenario, do communicate with the customer. So customers will receive a letter from Chorus that says, we are about to, to turn off, you need to talk to your retail service providers, and in parallel, we've made sure that the retail service providers does that. So I think that program works well. We've done, uh, as I said, already 200 cabinets have been uh, turned off, and, and the majority of it has happened really well. I think there's been a, not even a handful of complaints that, that have come through, and, and we're making sure that we learn from them so that they don't happen in the, in the broader program. And then in parallel, you've got retail service providers deciding to not offer copper services, and some of it might be that PSTN, so plain, uh, uh, sorry, the, the switch technology network for, for, for voice communication. Um, recently, the good news is that as an industry, uh, the retail service providers have agreed to an industry code on how we communicate to customers, uh, how long they're going to provide, uh, how the, the notice they'll provide to customers. So I think hopefully the message will get clearer, there'll be less confusion. But it's true that there's going to be those two programs operating in parallel, and, and it's likely that it's not going to be tricky, which is why we, we're really engaging very hard with uh, the retail service providers to make sure that it, it's not too confusing for end users. Yeah, I, th- I think that you know, there's always going to be a level of discomfort when a, a change is forced, mm-hmm. and although probably a, a, a very large percentage of the population have... Uh, yeah, walked away from having you know fixed yeah. uh, landline <laughs> phones in a, in a home and often uh, business premises too. There there are some where that's still that's yep. still the go to, and uh, you know there's no desire to change, but that's that's coming and that's happening. And uh, um, I guess it's uh, it's it's just you know something that we all have to uh, have yeah. to have to get used to. And, and the good news is you know the, the industry uh, is quite well structured, and in particular you know the retail service providers and identifying customers that have special needs, so people that need a medical alarm uh, and things like this, you know, they have that information. There is also a code now to make sure that uh, those systems will continue to work. There is a code to ensure that access to 111 uh, continues to happen. So, you know, we've put a lot of of, uh, of protections around it, uh, but it's something that we all, uh, whether we are the wholesalers or the retailers, paying a lot of attention. Hmm. That's great. Um, anything else you can share around, uh, you know, what's next? What's, well, that, what's ahead for, for Chorus, whether it's, uh, you know, things that that are, that are not too far out or you know, maybe what the possibilities might be sort yep. of a decade from now? Well, you know, what, what's interesting for us, as I said, is, you know, having that conversation about how much further do we push fibre. Uh, we, we think that, that that's really an exciting uh, area to go through. Um, and then there is the fact that, uh, you know, there are, new areas that we can develop. So one of the things that uh, we look at is we have exchanges. Uh, In those exchanges, we've got plenty of space that's taken by that copper technology. As we turn off copper, we're going to be able to remove that kit and we're going to end up with rack space. So, you know, um, cabinets basically uh, that are connected to power, connected that have air conditioning, uh, great backhaul connectivity and are at the edge of our fiber uh, network. There is an emerging uh, business need, which is called edge computing. Uh, so you people hear about the big data centers that are being built by the uh, the, the big global players. Uh, a lot of that compute capability is going to go there, but there are specific applications that need that compute to be a lot closer to the end user. So we believe that that's an opportunity for us uh, to grow. So that's an exciting area for us to, to, to look at. Um, and we want to make sure that we actually leverage that asset that we have uh, to look at those types of, of new opportunities. So, um, you know, the, the way we look at it is this is a bit of the uh, um, uh, a milestone for us. As you said, we've finished or almost finished a, day, a few days away from finishing the build. I'm going to open only next week uh, to to celebrate that. Uh, but that was a phase of the history of, of Chorus. 
there is also a phase which is the first big migration from copper to fiber. That will still take probably another year or two because it, it lags the end of the build. Uh, but now it's all about what do we do and how do we leverage that, 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 that network? How do we keep it up to date? So how do we go from hyperfiber to one day 25 gig, et cetera, uh, or, or higher speed? You know, that's probably out in the future. But also how do we leverage that asset with, with other opportunities? So that's a lot of the work that we do at Chorus now is, is you know, migrating from that phase of very successfully building and delivering that asset uh, to leveraging it as much as we can and then keeping up with, with demand and then trying to see if we can push it out a bit further. When do, when do you imagine that copper will be will be gone from you know from New Zealand as a country and and entirely? That, that it's it's a really uh, it's a really good question. Um, you know, I think in the fiber area, it, it, it's probably a few years out because everybody has an interest to do so. Um, you know, it, it's a little bit like when uh, the television system switched from analog to digital. Uh, you do need a concerted industry and government uh, approach to do so. Uh, so I think it will take a few years to figure out what that plan is, uh, and then you'll have to uh, execute on it. So um, I'm, I'm not going to put a number of years, but I think it will take longer than in the areas where there's fibers. But the writing is on the wall. You know, it, it's a technology that has served us extraordinarily well. Uh, and as you said, from, from the 1800s, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I would have said early 19, so you, you beat me to it, 1800. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago being at a conference and uh, somebody who had uh, created the, the, the technology between ADSL uh, was a speaker. And he was asked the question, how long do you think copper is going to continue to be used to deliver broadband? He thought about it and he said, probably five to 10 years. And then he posed for two seconds and he, and he said, but I've been saying this for the last five to 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know. But, you know, it, the writing is on the wall. Yes, it's a technology that has served us well, but ultimately yeah. uh, will need to be turned off. And we now have plenty of alternatives to actually deliver a better service uh, to customers. Mm, great. Well, it's been fascinating to talk with you. Thanks so, so much, uh, JB Ruslo. Uh, really appreciate you uh, uh, taking the time out to uh, to chat and to uh, share with our New Zealand Tech Podcast listeners. Thank you. And uh, let me just put one quick plug for uh, all of my colleagues at Chorus uh, because uh, that team does an amazing job every day, an amazing mahi, and I just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> yeah, well, very much the, you know, the whole country uh, you know, benefits from hard work. It has a big flow on to, uh, to New Zealand. It's, it's very important for us to have great infrastructure and uh, Chorus plays a, a pretty key role in that picture. So, yeah. Thank you, JB. And, of course, uh, a special thanks to our show partners, to uh, Vodafone, Two Degrees, uh, Spark, HP, Gorilla Technology, and Deal. Thank you very much, JB. Thank you, Paul. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.